brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target. This is going to be quite a different show. Uh, Jack Murphy has been diligently prepping for this, <laughs> talking about social justice warrior, woke vets. We have audio clips we've pulled, and uh, Jack has like a plethora of notes in front of him. So I guess I'll go right to you, and we'll get into this. Well, this is a, a somewhat interesting topic. I mean, I said, you know, we'll talk about the, this phenomena that is happening. Um, we've, we've seen the, the right-wing vets, of course, um, but there's a, a movement to kind of change the definition of what it means to be a veteran uh, or, or tell people that there are other political identities within the military and with, amongst veterans. And I, I think that's all fine, you know, and, and, you know, people get out of the military and they have a voice and they should express their political identity and political beliefs however they want. But this is a little bit more specific. And um, rather than write an article about it and pretend that this is just a totally um, unbiased piece of journalism, I thought it'd be better for a podcast where you hear me talking. And uh, I I don't want to masquerade as a a detached third party observer in all of this because it's, you know, I, I intersect with this story because we're talking about some specific personalities um, and things that I crossed over with. And when you get to the heart of, I think, the woke vet or the social justice warrior veteran, you it has its genesis, I believe, a lot of it at Columbia University, which was the university I went to and I graduated in 2014. Um, a lot of it has its genesis there, and it has its genesis in the Milvets Club, up at Columbia, which had to be dissolved. Um, and those personalities are out there now. Um, they masquerade as, you know, progressives who are interested in social justice and helping people out and this and that. But really, they're just self-serving uh, and they're crass opportunists. And we're going to get into all of that today. You know, I resisted doing this story or talking about this for a really long time for the same reason. It felt crass to me. Um, you know, the story that we're going through, I mean, it's personal, professional, social, and political all at the same time. And usually we don't use the podcast in this manner. I mean, this podcast is about interviewing vets. Uh, it's about interviewing people who did interesting things in life, who have unique perspectives to tell. It's not really this sort of... I don't know what you want to call it, um, but this sort of uh, podcast where we're, we're almost trying to like go through all of these personalities and organizations and break them down. But it is what it is. I, I mean, I, I feel like I've gotten to the point where I've just I'm just too nice to people, and I try to take the high road on this for a long time. But 
now these guys are getting kind of annoying. Uh, so we're going to just go through the whole thing. Um, the story really starts, at least from my perspective, I started going to Columbia in 2011. Um, when I got there, I met a lot of veterans. Uh, there's, I think there's like 150 vets on campus at the time, which was great. And, uh, and Columbia is really cool about, they made me feel very welcome. I can say that personally. I think they make veterans feel very welcome. And the, the school really does try to do a good thing to get veterans to go to Columbia, to give, give them an Ivy League education, and then put them out into, you know, ostensibly important positions in life. Um, but I met a lot of veterans there who were good dudes, but I also met a lot of veterans who had this incredible hubris. Um, these guys on campus would just run around acting like they were going to be running the world in a few years. And <laughs> it was just, it was incredible to see um, where they were really, you know, some dude who did, you know, four years in the military and now he's going to Columbia and that's awesome. But they, they almost had a sense of entitlement, you know, like that America owed them something. But then I was going to school and um, I never attended this Milvets. Milvets is just a little club um, at, at Columbia. Uh, previously it had always been really just a, a club for guys to get together and drink, tell some war stories and network, you know, it was, it was really nothing, um, incredible or, but I mean, they did good stuff on campus in a small way, but it was nothing like, uh, that I, I think anyone would get too excited or energetic about, um, why was it school so that we have to like backtrack all of this before we really get into this? is uh, while I was there, I had a, a casual acquaintance with a guy named Brian Jones who became eventually the president of Milvets. And he was working for a new company. He, I think he was working for Business Insider. And then he started working for a new company called Task and Purpose. And at the same time, I was, of course, starting SoftRep. And we were right smack in the middle of that. And, um, you know, I, I saw, you know, in, in Brian, he was the editor in chief of that website. And I was like, that's super cool. Like, we should know each other. We should be able to, like, work with one another. And uh, Brian brought me over to their office and I met their CEO, this dude named Zach Iskell. Um, I, you know, it was a, a just a little meet and greet. I thought it was pretty cool um, and kind of moved on from there. I never really gave it a second thought. Now, meanwhile, Time goes on. Uh, I graduate in 2014, and I continue doing my job. You know, I was doing all sorts of reporting, traveling to Syria, Iraq, so on. And uh, at some point along the way, um, I heard about Milvets just imploding in 2016. Like, it just exploded, and that entire uh, board had to be fired, um, the student board. And I heard about it, but I didn't really care. There was bigger, I had bigger fish to fry, right? So then uh, you can remember during the election, of course, the uh, Hillary email server, private email server scandal. That blows up. And the State Department starts releasing Hillary's emails. And I'm going through them because I'm a journalist and I'm looking at I'm looking for stuff that has national security importance, right? Is there, are there some stories in here I can find? What I ended up finding as I was going through those emails was a lot of correspondence um, from Hillary Clinton about uh, her campaign donors. There's a lot in there. And you start Googling their names, and you see they're all these very wealthy people in Manhattan with their private art collections. They all have these little profiles written up on themselves. 
um, one of the names I came across was uh, Jill Iskell, who is uh, a big Hillary Clinton campaign donor. And I started Googling that name like I did all the others. And she's in there talking about how she had a friend or a son or something who uh, joined the Marine Corps against her will and served in Iraq. And I'm like, huh, who is that? That's interesting. And then I start, I, I eventually find the name Zach Iskell. And I'm like, huh, that sounds so familiar. Who is that? And then I realized, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I knew this guy. I, this is the guy that Brian introduced me who runs Task and Purpose. So this dude is obviously very, very well connected uh, to the Clinton family. Um, I mean, you can read, I pulled up this article here, and I'll, I'll just read an excerpt of this. I mean, this is, this is kind of funny. Um, so where are we here? This is uh, Meredith Melling and Zach Iskell have made service a family affair. Uh, first paragraph, when a mutual friend introduced Zach Iskell to fashion consultant Meredith Melling in 2012, he was smitten. Somehow, though, Iskell's many charms, the former Marine officer is dashing, well-bred. His parents, Jill and Ken Iskell, are notable philanthropists. And Ivy Educated did not make his immediate impression on his future wife. I mean, it, it's this is like the kind of, uh, you know, again, one of these profiles written in one of these magazines, I mean, it, it'll just make you puke in your mouth. I mean, it's so bourgeois, the way they write about Zach as being well-bred, like he has this, uh, I don't know, I mean, it's like you're talking about a dog or something. Um, it's all kind of, it, it's a different world, quite frankly. Um, it's nothing that, you know, most of us <laughs> ever grew up in or would understand, you know, uh, Iskell and Brian Jones, I found out they both went to Phillips Exeter, uh, which is a prep school. You know, this is where the Illuminati sends their kids. You know, if you're super wealthy, uh, you know, these are the future rulers of America you send them. And you can Google that and, and look and see who their alumni are and who went there and all that good stuff. So all of this happens. And my my thoughts on this are just leave it alone, because for a couple of different reasons. First off, who gives a shit? I'm a, you know, report on national security. What do I care about this? Um, as a, yeah, okay, now I understand why task and purpose is completely in the bag for Hillary. You know, they're not unbiased. And, you know, Iskell writes these articles supporting Hillary, and he doesn't disclose that he's known her since he was a little kid. But okay, he's far, he's hardly the only one, right? And what do I care? Um, and also, it just seems crass to me because you could perceive soft rep and task and purpose as competitors. So my thoughts are, you know, let capitalism take its course. I mean, maybe task and purpose becomes the next Vice News and they're a billion dollar media company and I'm bankrupt and I'm selling Amway to old ladies in supermarkets. But that's capitalism. I mean, you let the market decide. Right. So, you know, the hell with it. What do I care? But then over the next uh, the last several years, I noticed this you know, woke veteran phenomena happening. And at first, I didn't pay much attention to it. But then I, I start coming under attack from these people. And they're people who are connected to task and purpose and people who are attack, uh, attached to Zach Iskell in one form or another. Like just yesterday, that woman uh, who uh, works for Sirius XM, she was like attacking some piece I wrote as like, oh, this, this bad mouths women or portrays female soldiers in a bad light. Yeah, I think she's, as you were saying, from Barstool Sports, and they now have a channel on Sirius XM. Yeah. As you were asking me, and then Barstool came on 
uh, shortly after I left and came here full time. So, and then you look at uh, you look at her profile, and I click the link on her profile for Barstool Sports. The first thing I see is three girls wearing a thong. Show, I'm like, are you serious? Like, and but that's the that that is the course. That is like the whole theme of this is that these woke vets are actually incredibly hypocritical people. Um, and, and then of course on her profile, I see that she is affiliated somehow with Headstrong, with the, which is another thing that Zach Iskell works with. So it all goes back. I mean, it took me a little while to like figure out what was really going on, but I had these guys coming after me. Adam Weinstein was one of them. Uh, then Alexander McCoy, then Jared Keller. Um, and it was just weird the way they came after me. I mean, at first I thought, well, it's just, um, ideological, maybe, you know, I don't have quite the same political beliefs that they do. Or maybe, and the the person you're talking about, just to pull it up, it's Kate from Barstool Sports, who's, I guess, also on zero blog 30. That's in our category. So. Yeah, again, I mean, you see them, they're, they're competitors or could be seen as competitors, and maybe that's what it's really about. They, you know, they want to take us down a peg. Um, but I thought it was weird also how they attack your service. Uh, they, you know, Weinstein would come after me saying, I know how important badges are to you, and, you know, making these, like, snide comments. I'm like, Where, what are you talking about, man? Like, and who are you talking to? Um, even this guy, I noticed, uh, another one who's in this circle and connected to him is this dude, Fred Wellman at scout, uh, scout comms claims to be some sort of strategic comms guy. And he made some comment, but he's a ranger. And I was like, Fred, what do you mean by that? And he didn't answer. So I'm like, what the hell is really going on here? Um, it, it felt ideological, but also personal. Um, so I, c- I could not put the pieces together exactly what this was about, um, but I, I think I kind of figured it out. And um, it, it happened the other day when a friend of mine, um, he, he said he was listening to this podcast run by veterans, and he thought it was about veterans issues and things that are important to him. And uh, he's like, I couldn't make it 10 minutes through it. Because like right in, right off the bat, it's all about like gender and LGBT and all this other kind of like uh, identity issues, identity politics. It's not really about veterans issues. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Can you send me the link to that? And, uh, he, he shot me the link over and I was listening to it. And it's a podcast called, uh, two vets upstate, uh, put on by Andrea Goldstein and, uh, other gentlemen on there is, uh, Roger Miso. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's not a, a bad podcast. Don't get me wrong. I mean, and, I want to play some clips from it because I think it explains this um, this this sort of schism, political schism. It, what the what the podcast does, I think, uh, it, it verbalizes and articulates in a way that we haven't heard previously. I think, or I haven't heard previously, I should say, the the split down the middle between veterans when it comes to politics. Um, and so we'll play some of those clips, and you can listen to it, and, and I think it begins to explain this. It's super, in a sense, this is all like insider baseball, right? And I don't think anyone's ever really like necessarily broke it down like this. But anyway, let's play the clips, and you can listen to it, and you can hear a different point of view, a uh, different point of view from my own, from many of my peers. Um, and, and then we'll get back. We'll comment after that. So you want to play uh, clip one? One of the things that... Um I was always aware of was that I was surrounded by people who, uh, even if they didn't actually hold conservative views, felt very much like they needed to present that. You know, there's this idea that the military is, you know, monolithically, 
straight, white, male, conservative, uh, like hyper-masculine, especially in the Marine Corps. Um, and I, you know, personally, uh, you know, I didn't fit that. And it was something I was always aware of because I didn't agree uh, politically with, uh, you know, some of my peers, some of the people who were outranked me. Yeah, you want to play cut too? Yeah. Just go right into it. I really started to think about how unrepresentative uh, media, I, I guess, is, you know, and, and the public perception is of how, you know, like of people who actually serve, like who, who are soldiers, who are Marines, uh, who are sailors and airmen. And, you know, there's this idea uh, that I think most people think of. And then there's the reality of it, which is that, you know, a sizable percentage of people who serve uh, are not straight, are not white, are not Christian, uh, are not conservative. And those people have no voice. Uh, you can go ahead and play uh, clip three. This sort of monolithic, hyper-masculine view of what it means to be a veteran is dangerous not just for, uh, you know, the cosmetic stuff that we can see. Are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you, you know, you gay? Are you straight? Or, right. or, or anything there. But also, we have this idea that the military is, you know, that veterans, um, we have this, I guess, the social norm is that veterans are combat veterans, yes. right? And we, and, and a lot of us, and you certainly fit that role, right? Have taken fire or fired a sure. weapon or a tank, sabo, whatever, mm-hmm. in anger, right? But the reality is that the majority of the military is not that. Right. And right. there's folks who, you know, even folks who, like me, f- fly in support of combat operations. And then uh, cut four. I mean, you, you have to think about what a tiny percentage of the military actually is uh, combat. You know, like who, who are the people that actually are on the ground fighting, you know, uh, and it is not at all representative of the great uh, you know, majority of people who serve. And that's absolutely wrong to disenfranchise people that way. It's absolutely wrong uh, for, you know, for, for anyone to say that someone's service isn't as important, isn't as valuable uh, as anybody else's. You know, it, it's something that really, uh, really angers me because of, the, of the, the damage that that can do to people, you know, uh, and people don't even think about it. And it's gotten to the point where even uh, civilians now feel comfortable with, you know, calling somebody a poke, you know, like, oh, well, you're not really a soldier. You know, you weren't an infantryman. So there it is. And uh, I thank those guys for articulating themselves and making their point. And I do not at all want to be dismissive of at least one part of their argument, which is that they feel that the um, people who are in non-combat roles um, perhaps have other gender or uh, gender identities or different sexual orientations uh, are not necessarily represented. Like the view the public has of a veteran is one thing, but there is also all of these other identities within there. That's why I never miss an opportunity to tell people that like half of my platoon and ranger battalion were uh, Mexican-American because people don't really realize that. They, I don't think they realize how many Latinos have like manned up in this war and done their part. Um, so I, I acknowledge part of their argument, but I think also what they're saying is what leads to some of this friction between veterans. Um, and some people carry it to extreme lengths. Um, there, I, I mean, I understand that there, you know, I, I think there's an effort to change things um, perhaps 
to an extreme, and not necessarily with the people you just heard, um, but with other people who make up this social justice warrior um, veteran culture. I think the main problem is is that there is a, a faction of these folks who are trying to present themselves as um, progressive liberals or uh, social justice warriors, as you almost use as a derogative term nowadays, um, woke vets, whatever you want to call them. And it kind of starts with uh, this crew we're going to talk about today, but then it also goes further to the left and it gets into um, some veterans who are more like neo-communists. We're not really, I don't have time really to touch on that, but just understand that they're separate factions. The people we're talking about today are more Hillary supporters, Bernie bros. Um, They're socialists. They're not communists or anything like that, at least politically speaking. Um, Some of them are ideological. Some of them are just self-serving, though. Um, So I guess to go back to our story, um, and some of these folks who are, you know, positioning themselves as being morally pure and some of them who come and attack other veterans and degrade other veterans. And I, I think the the comments on that podcast is partially a reaction because there have been right wing veterans who probably attacked them or have um, behaved in, or, or said things or done things that were racist or misogynist or things like that. So there's that reaction. But then there's the reaction of the social justice warrior vets who jump down the throats of any dude or dudette, so to speak, who does not behave or act or believe exactly like they do. Um, one example was this dude, Alexander McCoy. And Alexander McCoy, he, he, said, he actually said that I'm part of the white fever. No, what did he say? I'm part of the white genocide fever swamp. And I was like, I don't even know what that is is like I had to look that up it's like some alt-right thing um so I did find out going back and looking at Alexander McCoy I went back in time to try to find out who he was and I found out that the Milvets club that fell apart in 2016 all of those people or most of them have bylines at task and purpose Now, what I was able to obtain was this chat log that was eventually leaked to the administration. Uh, It was the 2016 Milvets board, and they leaked that to the administration, and I guess that was the final straw, and that entire board had to resign because the other veterans were about to impeach them. They were so angry. Um, It's just a classic case of presenting yourself one way and behaving in a completely different way. You know, McCoy, he pretends to be this, you know, progressive woke vet. And when I started asking questions about him, I found out the dude was like basically a train wreck when he was in the Marine Corps. He went to DLI and bombed out of there. There was some incident where he got caught masturbating to anime porn. And then they put him, uh, they put him at, well, he was, he was going to go be a cook, I guess. And then they sent him to go be a Marine embassy guard. And it's like, dude, if you're going to come at me, and pretend that you're as pure as the Virgin Mary, like you better have your house in order. And so I started going through here and McCoy is all over task and purpose. And that's the thing is that all of these people are interchangeable. The people who keep attacking guys like me, they come from task and purpose. They're interchangeable personalities, largely with that 2016 Milvets board. And that's why I talk about them almost as if they're the same entities. And if you go through that chat log, I mean, it's incredible. 
I mean, McCoy is all over it, making all kinds of sex jokes. Uh, By the way, I was going to ask because I, you know, I, I saw the chat logs. Like, where were these exactly obtained? How did it all leak out? Um, well, it doesn't take a genius to put together that somebody who was actually on that board leaked it um, because it was a private Facebook chat, and it leaked to it leaked out to the other veteran students, and then they leaked it or handed it over to the administration at Columbia, and they finally had to drop the hammer on them at that point. Gotcha, yeah, because I saw them, and it, obviously these are all private, yeah, Facebook group conversations. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, it all came out. I mean, I love this quote from McCoy here where he says, the most important thing is to be aggressive and take care of yourself. It's like, that really sums it up. I mean, just all these jokes are ridiculous. Um he talks about, <laughs> the, well, this was the icing on the cake. We'll have to get to that later about how the whole board, they were flown by this wealthy dude uh, to a Hillary Clinton rally. And, but then there's this part here where McCoy says that he knows he's a fraud. He says here, a reporter from the Daily Globe and Mail is about to call me for a quote about arms sales of Canadian armored vehicles to Saudi Arabia. Anyone know anything about arms sales of Canadian armored vehicles to Saudi Arabia? Because I sure don't. I'm such a fraud. Why don't people think? Why do Why do people think I know things? It's like exactly, McCoy. <laughs> you are a fraud. So why the hell are you behaving in this way? I mean, it's it's the worst part is that he knows he's a fraud, but he perpetuates it anyway. And then he's also here hanging out with this uh, this Palestinian American activist, uh, Linda Lasor. Um, and you can go ahead and Google her name and read all about her and all that zany stuff that she gets into. You know. Um, and you go through these chat logs, and again, McCoy is all over task and purpose. And then you get to uh, Brian Adam Jones. And, you know, I always thought Brian was a good guy. Like, up until recently, if you, I mean, I had talked to other guys up at Columbia who just hate his guts because of all the opportunistic things that happened up there. But, like, if you asked me on a personal level, I wouldn't have had anything bad to say about the guy. Like, yeah, he seemed like a good dude at the time. But, then he was he was the editor in chief of Task and Purpose, and here he is, you know, making fun of vets, and which is all over these chat logs, just trying to tear down other veterans, um, making racial jokes, asking if the guy that uh, that Alexander McCoy met is boring and white, and then he even apologizes for it down the line because he knew it was a stupid thing to say, but. This is the problem that these people are so hypocritical about how they behave. Um, another person who is in that private chat log is uh, Talia Burton. Uh, all kinds of Asian sex jokes. The best part here is where they're all joking. They, like I said, they got flown to a, a Hillary Clinton event in New Hampshire, and they joke in here about sexually assaulting Hillary. They're like, oh, look, it looks like his hand is on her butt, and they're all, ha, ha, ha. Is it still reaching for when you're firmly grasping? I mean, Jesus Christ, really? They're playing uh, some stupid game on here. Talia jokes about killing Donald Trump, who was candidate at the time. Calling another veteran a twat. Wow, that's nice. It's just all over here. This other dude, Andy Hurt, talking about how some of the veterans at Columbia are literally psychotic, that they're literally psychopaths. And these people were so petty, they would go after anybody who disagreed with them about anything. Um, and we'll keep going into it. The uh, other character who was up there was Chris Goldsmith. Again, also Chris, Talia, all of them, all on task and purpose. Chris, uh, you know, he received another than 
uh, honorable discharge, and he's been fighting that for a long time. And a lot of veterans, they do get um, other than honorables for reasons that probably should be overturned because of various reasons. There's all sorts of things that can happen in a guy's life. And uh, Chris, you know, he's somebody who um, he's out, he's out clearly gone through a lot of pain in life, and he has been uh, candid about that and talked about it openly. And that's the only reason why I'm even going to mention this, because he has said it publicly that um, he made a suicide attempt. And I, I think or I hope that he has gotten much better and that he's pushed on past that. Um, and I'm sorry to even mention that in this context. I don't want to use that as something to attack him over because I do not want to go down that road, and I don't think that's cool at all. But I have to bring this up because there were veterans at Columbia on that Milvets board, and they started to have really um, a lot of issues with Goldsmith and um, a lot of the things he was saying and doing. Um, I have some stuff here where he was talking about in the, in the chat logs, he talks about instigating a physical confrontation with another veteran in order to get him kicked out of Columbia. I mean, it's like you have to draw the line somewhere. Um, and then there were clips, um, you know, Chris is a anti-war activist or at least he was, and he, uh, he went and did some talks and things like that. And, and do you want to play uh, clip eight? And that is uh, him talking about some of his Iraq experience. I spent my 20th birthday in Baghdad. And I come home to a Patriot Act. I come home to a police state. I come home to fences and barbed wire. These politicians don't trust us. Why would that be? Because they have hijacked our nation. President George W. Bush, the current commander-in-chief, only has a few months left in office. We're offered a chance to vote. Choice A, stay in Iraq forever. Or choice B, stay in Iraq for a pretty fucking long time. I cannot accept either one of those choices. These Iraqi soldiers will fall asleep. For that reason, I was infuriated. And my way of teaching them a lesson was to disassemble their AK-47 while they slept. I would take out the bolt from their weapon and I would throw it off the roof. I would then reassemble the weapon and put it back where it was. When they would wake up, they would grab their weapon not knowing the difference. They would go back on patrol on the streets of Iraq for hours a day in unarmored trucks. The Iraqi soldiers' only defense was aggressive fire. I removed that ability. When I went to my friends, feeling a little guilty for what I had done, they thought it was a great idea. So we all did it. My entire platoon disassembled every single AK-47 for an entire company of Iraqis. And we sent them back out on patrol with no way to defend themselves in unarmored vehicles. All right, you pause it there. This is what my country... So... This is the kind of activism that uh, Chris Goldsmith was engaging in. And, uh, you know, I think by his own admission, he was a young guy, had just gotten out of the military, um, was angry, upset, again, in pain, 
And uh, he's probably a different person today. I mean, I know I'm a different person since I got out of the Army eight years ago. Um, but the mill vets at Columbia started seeing this kind of stuff, and they're kind of like, is this really representative of us? It was just another thing that guys started going, uh, getting ballistic about, because, I mean, he is talking about some, doing some stuff in Iraq that's just, like, wildly unethical. Um, and then you get down to uh, Matt Lutz former EOT diver. Uh, he's on task and purpose also is like some beard oil guy. And uh, I started asking around about him and man, this guy, he's, he's interesting. He has a, uh, apparently a reputation for being a little handsy with the girls at Columbia. Um, Ian, do you want to play cut uh, seven? Given the recent events like uh, the Marine Boat scandal, it sparked new conversations that the vet community has a new willingness to take a closer look at how women are being treated within the military by their fellow service members. So my question is mostly directed towards less. Um, how will you address and combat the presence of this, this residual misogynistic mentality left over from the military that is consequently driving female participation? And most importantly, how can you specifically address these concerns when I believe you yourself are dismissive when women speak up for themselves? And what message are we sending to other student body groups by electing a man who has a long-standing reputation of disrespecting women? All right. Well, I'm very sorry you didn't feel that way about me, and I would love to talk to you personally about why that is. I don't really want to talk to you personally. I want to. Allow, allow him to respond. Yeah, well, he didn't really respond to that. Um, that was a pretty awkward moment where the young lady stands up at this uh, forum for mill vets and confronts him on, you know, misogyny and other things. Um, but, I mean, it's all just kind of like par for the course with these characters. Um, there, I mean, if you look through the chat log, I mean, here's Matt Lutz. He says, want to double team those papers like they were Barnard girls? Bernard is the girls' university uh, at Columbia. And, I mean, nobody in this group of progressive woke vets is like, that's misogynist. Don't say that. That's wrong. They're all, ha, ha, ha. You go through here, more jokes about Bernard girls. We got them using gay as a pejorative term, Uh, making sex jokes, making jokes about pedophilia, all kinds of crazy shit in here. And, you know, if these were, like, Marine infantry dudes out on a fob somewhere, you wouldn't give it a second thought. And, I mean, look, I'm not politically correct, and I'm not the politically correct police. I don't give a shit, okay? My problem is that if you're going to pretend to be some sort of woke, progressive asshole, and you're going to go around moralizing every single veteran you come in contact with who doesn't believe exactly the way you do, you had sure as shit better have your house in order, and you better not come at me when you have your flanks exposed like this. That is just unacceptable. I mean, as they say, that dog don't hunt. I'm not even going down fucking playing around with that game. So back to uh, the, uh, the Hillary Clinton event, they got flown over there on private jets or private planes, I should say, um, to meet with Hillary Clinton at some kind of event. And this is, this is, again, what leads to the consternation that so many of the vets up at Columbia had 
with these folks was that they were turning Milvets into a, a platform for political activism. And Task and Purpose was essentially the propaganda arm of that initiative. Um, so, it, it, and you can see it in the chat log. It's all conflated with one another. I mean, you can't say it's pr- a private chat log, but also it's discussing business, political activism. It's discussing um, Milvet's activities um, that probably should have been done in more of a transparent manner. Um, after all that stuff, meeting with Hillary Clinton and, and using Milvet's as a platform for political activism, guys were just getting more and more upset. Um, you know, the chat log eventually leaks. Uh, This thing is interesting because you can also see their tactics. And it's the tactics that I have experienced too. Um, What what happened was when the mill vets started getting pushback and a lot of it, a lot of the breakdown, I I said before that there's a political split between veterans. The second political split is between the combat vets and the non-combat vets. And a bunch of combat vets, a bunch of guys who have had their country telling them to go and kill bad dudes for the last 16 years or whatever, however long they're in the military, they're not really too keen to be used as political patsies by some of these folks who did not serve in combat, and now they're pushing this progressive agenda. Tactically, it's interesting to go through these chat logs and see not only how they were attempting to have veterans kicked out of Columbia, um, but how they go back, they want you know whenever they get some pushback, they go back to the, their group, they reassure one another, they do a little powwow, they go over their talking points and bullet points, refine it, edit it. You know, can you go and like my post after I, after I post this, et cetera, et cetera. This is what I've seen when they went after me too, is what it is. It's the task and purpose crew. And one of them will start saying something snippy. Then they run back to their Slack account. They coordinate fires and then they come back. And it's all these dudes who like, you know, they're barely on the XYZ social media platform until they go and coordinate fires, and then they come back. So that's the game they're playing. Um, and once you peel back that onion a little bit, it all becomes very, very clear. I think the other thing you can say about that is that, again, these people know what they're doing is wrong, but they keep doing it anyway. I thought it was interesting to see these uh, you know, moments in the chat from Brian Jones and uh, Pete Kiernan is another one where they're almost trying to walk back what had previously been said in the chat as if they know it was wrong, but they did it anyway. Almost like a disclaimer. And I think Brian was actually smart about that because he knew the chat log was going to leak eventually. Um, so that basically sums up where the nucleus of task and purpose came from. It all came out of this and the implosion of mill vets in 2016. And a lot of those folks are still on task and purpose writing for them. Um, They're still running around moralizing like they're part of the religious right. Uh, The other people, you know, the the company also has people working for it who are not veterans at all. Uh, One of the most he's entertaining, but he's also the least interesting person in this whole story is Jared Keller. Um, Jared is their senior editor and he was previously the news director at Mike and he got fired from there for 20 counts of plagiarism. But this is who they hire. This is the type of people that task and purpose chooses to hire and to feature on their website. 
And, you know, Keller is now a compromised asset. He can't go work anywhere else. So he basically has to do whatever he's told to do. And it's pretty clear. I mean, I don't think Keller is ideological. I don't think he's a, a woke dude. I think he's just some guy trying to hold down his job and he has to do what his boss tells him to do. So that's the gist of this whole story. And I mean, I think this is uh, a primer on the woke vet. Now we can also go down the road of the right wing vet and we can talk about that too. And believe me, right wing veterans do a lot of stupid shit also. You know, the, the problem with woke vets is that they demand respect as a soldier, but simultaneously they're trying to posture themselves as a victim of imperialism or whatever the fuck ever. It's just really weird how they kind of want to have it both ways. What they're trying to do, they create themselves as like a caricature of the feminist ally, as if they're like allied bros, which is for them the counter to the mega veteran. Um, you can go and look, for instance, at uh, Adam Weinstein's profile pic on Twitter. And he's wearing his American flag baseball cap and his sunglasses and he's smoking a cigarette. I mean, he's, a, he's making himself a parody of a veteran. I mean, these, I think these guys like legitimately hate veterans deep down. When you, when you really like get down to it, I think they don't like it. And it's, they especially do not like cisgender, white male, heterosexual combat veterans. And now it suddenly makes sense why these people come after me. Because just by default, I'm emblematic of everything they dislike, everything they see that's wrong with the world. Why don't I just get out of their way? It's funny, too, because uh, our audience has, like, there's been people, plenty of people who have accused you of being, like, left wing, you know? Oh, so yeah. you don't really fit into this, like, no, I Donald Trump diehard no. supporter vet. No, we get hate mail from people calling us cucks because yeah. we don't support Donald <laughs> and, or we don't support every single thing he does. Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I don't fall into that category. Um, but it doesn't matter yeah. because of my skin color, because of my gender, because of my orientation, things I don't control. And that's the great irony of the woke veteran is that they become everything they hate, that they become somebody who discriminates. And when I say discriminates, listen, I'm not talking about the African-American community not liking white veterans or white people. I'm not talking about being discriminated against by the LGBT community. That is not what I'm talking about. The people who are behind this, the woke vet, they are white upper class and upper middle class people running around pretending to be allied bros. It's absolutely ridiculous. What they're doing, especially on Twitter, you can see we've talked about this before, is what they try to do is disconnect people from the network. It's, it's actually a concerted effort to deplatform anybody they disagree with. What they're doing is pushing a political project to try to shape reality. It's... Um, it's akin to anybody who points to them and says, hey, look, you're not the total moral authority on all issues. You're not the subject matter. You're not the expert on every single subject. They come at you like you're crazy. They're, crea they're creating a, a consensus reality. Um, and it's interesting because they function as a coordinated but decentralized network. It's not like there's some sort of puppet master behind this. It's just that they all fear being marginalized um, because they want to be a ca in the cast of characters, but they all have to establish their place in the pecking order. And that's why you see arguments about who is the right kind of left. And I mean, I've been at 
you know, parties here in New York City with, uh, you know, very lefty folks. And it's very funny to see them argue over who is the right type of left. And you can even see these people on Twitter arguing amongst themselves who is the right type of left. Um, and there is a pecking order that gets established within them. And they all fear being out, you know, becoming an outcast, becoming marginalized. So you really have to, they really have to put their blinders on and just head in this one single direction and creating this consensus reality. Um, and, you know, I think so far these people have acted largely with impunity um, because they have access to wealth. They have political connections. And so far they've had the ability to shout, shout down anybody who dissents with them in any shape or form. It's really incredible. So, again, my point with this is that if you're going to hold people to a standard, you had better be adhering to it yourself. You better not be acting as a hypocrite. And I think what we've shown here is that a lot of these people are hypocrites, that they portray themselves uh, as one person and they behave in reality very differently, not just being uh, making sexist or misogynist or racist statements, but that in their actual actions, they're very opportunistic. They're very petty and they're very self-serving. They're looking to take care of themselves while pretending that they're trying to like take care of society or, you know, whatever the fuck it is they pretend they're doing. It's, it's nonsense. And these, the, but these are the same people who, if you say one thing, if you use the wrong word to describe a woman, you say something that sounds a little racist, these folks will absolutely mob you. They will set out to ruin people's lives. Um, and we've seen it where they disconnect people from the network so viciously, um, not just the, the quote unquote woke vets, but the actual social justice warrior movement, if you will, the community, if you will, um, to the point where people get fired from their jobs. You know, they're not allowed to coach their kids baseball game. It, it's like literally you're pushing someone to the margins of society. And that's what they're engaged in. Some of the behavior that they, that they uh, perpetuate, I mean, it's downright pathological. It's very cynical. It's very sinister. Uh, like you saw, you know, I was talking about in those chat logs, you can see that they know what they're doing is wrong deep down, but they continue with this crusader ideology, just like the religious right. They're constantly moralizing everybody around them. And what do we know about moralizers on the Christian right, the Christian evangelicals? What, what is it? Are they hypocritical? A lot of times, yeah, they get caught blowing lines of coke with a hooker in the hotel room, or, or even worse, they get caught in the hotel room with a 12-year-old boy. I mean, it's just something about the type of person that feels the need to go around virtue signaling all the time, trying to virtue signal. Rather than the actual presence of virtue, just make yourself appear virtuous. There is just something about that personality that what they're really doing is throwing up a smoke screen. They're trying to hide their dirt. And these folks did do dirt because it gets even uglier when the, this crew that we're talking about, these woke vets, they were actually trying to blackball people who disagreed with them. It wasn't just like, uh, uh, like Twitter mobbing or something. Uh, what they were doing was they actually were going to alumni in firms like Goldman Sachs and blackballing other veterans at Columbia who are trying to get internships and things like that. So like for folks who don't know, like, when you go to a school like Columbia, like summer internships are a huge thing and they're supposed to lead on to potentially a job. So a lot of guys um, who want to go work in finance are, are looking to get these internships at big banks and hedge funds and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and the, the 2016 mill vets crew were actually trying to blackball other vets who had nothing to do with all this drama we're talking about 
They're just folks who, uh, who maybe disagreed with something that they were doing. Now, I mean, you can't claim that you're trying to help vets, that you're trying to help veterans' issues, while at the same time doing this kind of petty bullshit. And I hope what comes out of all of this is that some of these folks learn a little bit of humility and learn that they are not standing atop the ivory tower. They're human beings. And there's, some of them, like, uh, like Chris Goldsmith, I, I, you know, he's a guy who suffered. And he had to go through some shit, right, to get himself right. And, and I'm sure that was a long, hard road for him. And what we see with, uh, with Weinstein and others is they're breaking the balls and making fun of all these veterans, you know, the guy with the American flag ball cap and the cigarette hanging out of the corner of his mouth. You think that guy's not suffering? Just because he aligns on the right, you think that that guy is not having trouble assimilating into society? You think he's not struggling to find a job? You think he's not dealing with PTSD, that he's not dealing with TBI? He's dealing with all the same shit you are. So why are you taking a shit on top of this guy all the time? They're dealing with the same shit. The left-wing vets, the right-wing vets, they're largely dealing with the same shit. So don't pretend like, you know, you're up in the ivory tower and that you're untouchable and that all of these other guys, these plebes, these blue collar dudes that you hate so much, don't pretend you're better than them. That's bullshit. So the woke vets are running this form of social engineering and it's destined to eat itself alive eventually because it's like, you know, the old saying, someone is always going to be more communist than you are communist. Someone's always going to be more woke than you're woke. And what that results in is a race to the bottom. And it's already happening. And I, at least I don't think for, for this crew we're talking about today, but I think there are people on the, on the two political extremes, the, uh, the neo-communists and the neo-Nazis, who that's what they want, actually. They want the middle to fall out. They want the center to fall out. So it's just the two extremes, and then they'll go to war with each other. But that's another subject, and we, we'll talk about that on another podcast. What I think comes out of this, um, this topic is that there are people like me who, you know, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I was not necessarily concerned. I did not necessarily care. I said, task and purpose, go do your thing. I'll do my thing. I don't care about the mill vets. That's like your little league baseball team to me. I don't care. Do what you want. Um, I'm, not, I'm not politically engaged in this kind of sense. And I, I think what comes out of all of this is that we need to start being more politically engaged. Because if we don't, some of these woke vet moralizing assholes are going to get elected to office. Thus far, what they have done is they've combined a lot of hubris with a lot of incompetence. They keep doing stupid, stupid shit, and they keep making mistakes. But they will eventually learn from their failures, and they will get better at what they're doing. And sooner or later, they're going to start running for office. Now, Ian, I was wondering if you can play uh, clip seven. And this is also from, the, from that podcast with, um, with Roger and Andrea. Um, and it's, uh, they're talking about this very subject. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you, Ian. And, and you know, it's really interesting. We, we think about we think about these images of, um, you know, the stereotype of who serves in the military is white male, cisgender, heterosexual, Christian, conservative male who served in combat. 
Right. And that is not the majority of the military. And yet that is, um, you know, the stereotype. And what's very interesting is now when we think about what this generation of veterans does after service, there are a lot of people running for office. Um, I mean, there are two women veterans of color who are currently in, in Congress, Tammy Duckworth and Tulsi Gabbard. Yes. Um, several more running. But what's interesting is that the New York Times just did a piece on Democratic veterans and all talked about these guys that fit the stereotype. <laughs> so um, what do you think about that? So go ahead and uh, hit up, uh, what is it, six? Play that one also. You have to beware of cashing in, uh, people who will cash in on the very high trust that the public still places in us. I think a recent Pew poll, um, the military was the most trusted group of people, you know, more than lawyers, priests, whatever. I think it was like 89% of the public implicitly trust the military and view their view a military candidate as a positive. And uh, too many people just, uh, one, on the, on the negative side, will use that and cash in on that to sort of absolve their disqualifying sins, right? Um, and on the flip side, we do not dig deep enough, as you said, into, okay, yeah, but in the military, guess what? We have some bad people too. And, uh, I'd like to think we catch them all because they're dumb, but some of them are just good at covering their tracks and getting into these positions. And you need to ask, is this person ethically good? Are they morally good? Um, more so than, uh, did they serve as a, one time only thing. So that was uh, Roger there talking, and I could not agree with him more. He is absolutely right on with that comment. We have to look hard at these vets who are running for office, who are going to run for office, the veterans who claim to speak for us, who claim to represent us, who claim to represent progressive causes. We need to take a long, hard look at them ask ourselves, are they ethically good? Are they morally good? And some of them are dumb and they get caught, as he says, and some of them are very good at covering their tracks. And maybe we need to get a little bit more politically engaged as veterans in looking at these people and who they really are and what interests they really represent. Because right now we're at a a kind of crossroads where if we're not careful, we're going to get a bunch of social justice warrior veterans who really are just a bunch of scoundrels elected to office. Same thing with the other the veterans who are on the far right and are into that alt-right neo-Nazi bullshit. We need to call them out too. And we're gonna, I'm going to have to like prepare a whole other podcast on the fascist side of things. I've been doing some research on that. And um, I previously would have assessed that as a small threat um, because I would have thought about like the Ku Klux Klan and a bunch of like redneck hillbillies who are infiltrated by the FBI. Um, but there's actually a new generation of alt-right neo-Nazis who are very slick, very intelligent, very charismatic. And I can see how they're trying to lure in people who lean right, maybe a little bit right, maybe a lot right. And amongst that group is going to be veterans. Yeah, and not, uh, I don't believe he's a veteran, but I, I don't know if you remember the guy trying to primary out Paul Ryan, Paul Nealon. So he started out as like this constitutional conservative type of guy, 
Um, he was very big on getting rid of NAFTA and that type of stuff. Um, I, I've actually spoke to the guy before, and I figured he was just like a good conservative candidate. Yeah. And then on Twitter, you know, as things progressed, he put out like that the people attacking him on Twitter were all Jews, put out these memes <laughs> mocking of black course. people. Of course. Um, and went like way over the top. And it turned out that this guy, Paul Nealon, was like a full on alt right guy. And, and he, you know, ran for office not successfully, but he, he could have successfully gotten yeah. that seat. And then, you know, said, surprise, I'm, I'm in the alt-right. It's, it, we're we're going to have to get into that more, and I have to do some more research on it. But they have their own jargon, their own code words. Um, but that's what these people do, right? The, these people who are political opportunists, they're throwing up a smokescreen, pretending to be progressive, pretending to be constitutional conservatives. We have to take a really hard look at who these people are. The funny thing with, though, that their own jargon and their own signs is that then the people who to take that a step further because remember uh, apparently like the AOK uh, you know has become a you know alt-right symbol and remember the picture of Kurt Schroeder at yep. SHOT Show and someone's like oh he's throwing up an alt-right symbol yep. which was obviously not as intense yeah no it wasn't it's the the stupid circle game that soldiers play um which okay it's juvenile sure but it's not racist um but you're right. You're absolutely right. And some of these woke vets, I see them using terms like uh, like woke, for instance. That was like an alt-right thing originally. Where they say like woke, uh, red pill, all that kind of stuff. Uh, normies. That was another alt-right thing that I see the woke, the woke vets uh, and other SJW types reappropriating these terms. So it all gets very muddled and confused. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just thinking of that, though, because, you know, it's, it's also like the extreme of, you know, if you see or, or, for example, the whole Pepe the Frog thing. I've heard interviews with the creator of Pepe the Frog and the guy who created it just originally wanted to make a comic book that was a little bit um, edgier, not in a uh, racism or anything type of way. It was just, you know, like inappropriate stuff with Pepe the Frog, like peeing in public and stuff, but certainly not a racist guy and is actually really pissed off that these people have taken his character and yeah, used yeah. it to mean something that was entirely not what he intended. Yeah. So. It's culture, man. I mean, that's how thing cultural diffusion, if you will. And uh, we're in a vicious time right now. I still don't get, by the way, the whole, like, reappropriating of the Pepe the Frog thing. It's Even though I've heard interviews with the creator, it's still very confusing of how this got picked up. Uh, I know that, like, the character's... Um, catchphrase was he would like basically take his pants down and pee wherever he wanted and then he would say feels good man and then that somehow became an alt-right thing i don't and i have no idea where they picked it up from and why it became an alt-right thing. well it, it's, it's very confusing it, it, it's a symbol and and it's interesting you bring that up because um you know you hear like one one way of looking at the political spectrum that i, I know you've talked about the horseshoe theory that at a certain point these political ideologies come back together um, and they have similarities. Um, they do. The uh, the woke vet neo-communists uh, and the alt-right neo-Nazis, they have some commonalities. Uh, it's interesting. Um, so the Pepe the Frog, I think what that represents is like a, this like this horrible swamp dwelling, ugly creature that is unsuccessful in life. He's just a piece of shit. Um, and, and this is, you know, it became an alt-right thing because now we're going to get our revenge. Um, if you look at the alt-right or you look at that, those far, uh, far-right kind of movements, 
um, and the recent obsession that the that the far left has had with so-called incels, people are involuntarily celibate. Um, the incel or the alt-right personality, it's a cliche um, with a lot of truth behind it, that they live in their mom's basement, that they're losers, that they can't find a job. When I looked at the far left, I found, uh, I was reading this article about, um, about this other podcast that attracts a lot of young lefties, far, people on the far left. I'm sure all the woke vet crew, they all listen to it, I'm sure. Um, and they were describing their listeners as fail sons. And, uh, and they describe the fail son as um, the son who lives upstairs in their mom's house. And they come down the steps once a year for Thanksgiving, shovel some food on their plate. You know, a relative asks them how school's going. They're like, oh, I have a, a 2.1 GPA or I, or I flunked out. Uh, and then they take their food upstairs and eat. So it's very much the same personality. And what's the root cause? We could, if we were to point to it, we could say people are falling out of the economy. And that's what's leading to these political extremes, these obscurest ideologies. Yeah. All right. So I guess if we have covered this all, it's... Uh... I mean, I have notes and, and stuff <laughs> for miles. I could literally tear up on these guys. I think of that, uh, that parody video the guy did where he uh, did a very good job dressed like Alex Jones. And he has this <laughs> pile of notes and he just throws it. He goes, you think I can cover all this? You want me to cover all this? Exactly. These people are offshore. It, <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. You all holding all this? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because there's like there's a there's a certain thread to this. Like if you start trying to backtrack, you know, um, you know, Zach Iskell and Brian Jones, uh, they both went to that Philip Exeter uh, high school, and you start like backtracking their connections. Um, then they do have a, a very great. They have a very well put together network. Um, and you start backtracking stuff, it leads to like old money really quick. And it leads to like the transatlantic Anglo-American relationship very quickly. And I mean, I was like, man, if I start going into that, I'm going to sound like Alex Jones. But I'm not implying that that's like it, there's some sort of Illuminati conspiracy theory. That's not, a, not what I'm saying. I'm just saying if you start playing the Kevin Bacon game, yeah. it goes back to old money very quickly. Interesting, man. All right. Well, this was definitely very different than what we normally do. Uh, but it was cool. It was, it was something that I know you wanted to, I guess, get off your chest, you could say, is you've been attacked by. Yeah, I'm tired. Uh, like I said, I, I think I've been too nice. And when you're too nice, people mistake kindness for weakness. So, I mean, you're, you think you're going to come at me. You think you're going to come at other people like me and there's not going to be any kind of pushback. Nuh-uh. Yeah. No, not this time. Well, hopefully you guys um, enjoyed this and, like I said, something different. We have a lot of great interviews uh, coming up on the horizon the end of this month, early next month. And, of course, we're always doing great stuff here at Hurricane. Um, Brandon is at Cannes in France. Uh, I know he just met Gary Vanderchuk, took a picture with him. I reposted that on SoftRep Radio's Instagram page. Um, but currently, right now, what we're up to here at Hurricane, of course, is Great Club. There's only one club out there with gear handpicked by special operations military veterans from several branches. And that, of course, is Crate Club. Past items we've had in our crates have been Emerson knives, a Blackhawk Industrials medical pouch, and cool stuff like a custom playing card set from an exclusive photo shoot we did of some hot models with guns. We have different tiers of membership, depending on how prepared you want to be, and gift options are available as well. You can check that all out at CrateClub.us. Once again, that's CrateClub.us. For you dog owners, check this out. You're going to love this. 
We've just partnered with Kuna. They have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog every month of healthy treats and training aids. Uh, it's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. The products are U.S. sourced, all natural, and not only promote a healthy diet, but also promote being active with your dog. So whether we're talking a pit bull or a chihuahua, this is just what you're looking for. You can see all of that at kuna.dog. That's kuna.dog. It's efficient for you. Your dog will appreciate it as well. And I should bring up that we have Craig Grossi coming on next show, and his whole story is about um, meeting his dog while stationed overseas, and it's it's definitely a feel-good story. So I'm actually trying to get him hooked up with uh, Kuna Dog. Also, as a reminder for those who are listening, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to the Spec Ops channel. That's our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. And the next big thing on there, you know, currently we have training cell, but is the inside the uh, the team room with uh, all in, uh, Intel people. We've been, you know, there's been a high demand to see that. We've, of course, had the uh, team room of snipers, the team room of uh, Army Rangers, if cut from the same cloth, Navy SEALs, but nothing in the intelligence community. So that's what we've done. That's going to be up there soon. And as soon as it is, I'll probably get Sam Faddis on the podcast since we've never had him on and maybe play um, some of the best of that. So if you're not already a member, it's very inexpensive right now to subscribe. So take advantage of that. SpecOpsChannel.com, only $4.99 a month. And you also get access to the Spec Ops Channel app, which is developed by Chris, our web guy. And if you're a SoftRep team member, you get access to that uh, as well. Uh, with that, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SoftRep Radio. If you have any emails, any response to uh, what we just laid down there, uh, softrep.radio at softrep.com. I didn't get to email any emails today, but I, I'm always reading them. Um, there was a recent email actually about the last episode, how I mentioned the Flint water crisis and someone was like, Hey, Ian, that's not really a crisis anymore as of, um, April, but it still is the, the, they've tested the water quality and the water quality is like up to where it should be. However, the amount of lead pipes, though, there's still far more lead pipes that haven't been uh, repaired than those that have been. So I wouldn't say that it's not a crisis still. I mean, it's just one of those infrastructure things that I feel like until we get a very basic thing, making sure that we have decent quality water for all Americans, uh, there's certain things that I think maybe we should hold back on. So it makes you wonder how many other places there are around the country where, you know, maybe people aren't being outright poisoned to yeah. death, but, you know, the quality of the drinking water is, you know, having an adverse effect on people's health. There was New Jersey, I remember, around that time. I think that's been fixed, but yeah. Um, and you think about Flint, Michigan, it's such a poor area that it just it takes like one person to check, you know, to see what's going on to make people aware. There's probably a ton of people who are not aware for months until, you know, actually, that's one of those good things Twitter and all that is used for. It wakes up the nation when there's a crisis like that. So um, I've, I mentioned on the podcast, but I did drive over there and help hand out water during that time. And it was it was kind of interesting because you feel bad for the children but the parents, it's just like, I'll be honest, I, I didn't expect to see this, but the amount of people getting water that were in like brand new Ford F-150s, brand new <laughs> Ford Raptors, like in my head, it was just like, it is not the children's fault they're in this situation. But for me, if I was a parent and I had this brand new car, whether it's leased or owned, 
I would fucking get rid of that thing immediately and move to some other neighborhood until this is solved. But, you know, what what can you do? But nonetheless, no matter how poor of an area you are, every area should have clean drinking water. Like, th- this is not a third world, world country. Yeah. So uh, I was I was really just that was one of those things that I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? You know, now we hear about the border stuff going on. There's a lot of interesting things happening that you think to yourself, like, this should not be happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's, it's a result of decades of, like, kicking the can down the road and, like, pretending these things aren't real, pretending they're not happening because politicians don't want to, you know, show some courage and deal with them and deal with the fallout. So they just defer, you know. It's actually the same kind of phenomena that I think is really happening in the military right now in that – you have these officers come in, they take command of these, you know, large troop formations, and they're scared to fix things because the military is strained by war. Everything's being held together by, you know, 100 mile an hour tape and 550 cord. And instead of trying to make real reforms and really fix things and really directly address issues, they're just kind of like holding tight until their command time is over so they can get promoted and move on to the next thing um, because they don't want to make waves. No one wants to look at their commanding officer, their superior, yeah. and be like, sir, this, this thing is fucked. The, the immigration thing, I think one of the biggest problems, actually, with you know, what we're currently seeing is actually just the divide politically because you have one side, you know, the Democrats and liberals, who really don't want to see anything happen at the border. There are those people on the left who, who believe in... Um, amnesty all around so they see that people coming over as potential voters then you have people on the right that want to you know build a border wall uh they don't want any amnesty so you have these two conflicting sides uh you know and and a lot of people funding both of these sides there's a lot of um big political action committees that fund both sides both the like amnesty crowd and the you know build a wall type crowd so What's going to get solved when you have nothing? These, you know that that's the main issue, I think. Um, and because of why we don't see anything change, and because our government is afraid to make a decision, that's why you know you end up with these inhumane situations. Yeah, you know, it, it's why you end up with you know half measures that leave our law enforcement officials confused and frustrated. And why you end up with kids in cages <laughs> because we haven't tried to reform anything, we haven't tried to fix anything. You know, it's been going on for years. Um, hopefully that changes. I'm not optimistic, but, I mean, we can still hope and, you know, lobby. Yeah, I'm thoughts, not either. Thoughts and prayers. It's it's one of those interesting things, though, where something does need to be done because I do see both sides of the equation. I personally am a strong border enforcement guy. I've been on the, the uh, Green Line podcast with the Border Patrol um, I was apparently on the same episode as John McCain, which was interesting. Huh. But I, I, I tend to agree with those guys on just about everything when it comes to the border. Um, so the thing is, I would say most of the people who are coming over that border with their children, yes, they are in hopes of a better life and supporting their family. But we also need to be aware that it is a major national security crisis. And don't think that bad guys, whether it's the Mexican drug court cartels or potential terrorists, are going to exploit that they're not going to exploit a porous border. And we do need to look at that angle as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when we had Dan Gordon on who talked about like tunnels being built, those tunnels could be built for many things. And uh, I think it's something we should be aware of. Yeah. I mean, they need like wide scale, 
you know, policy reforms across the board that deal with immigration, that deal with border security, all of that stuff. Yep, I agree. Um, anything else before we wrap this up? No, I think that's, um, uh, well, I mean, I always have more shade to throw on this particular <laughs> subject, but I, I think, you know, I should probably stop. It's not about going on a rant. It's about making a point backed up by evidence. Sure. Um, so, no, I, I'll leave it at that. Which you did. What are you, are you expecting major backlash once I post this? Uh, no, no. Their normal tactic is be like, grow up, Jack. Why can't we just be friends? Let's bro hug this out. Let's come together and work together to find solutions. It's a lot of like pseudo intellectual bullshit that, you know, probably carries currency in their crowd. But, you know, you talk to like blue collar dudes and I mean, it's just you see right through that bullshit. It's like, you're not fooling me, man. You're not fooling anybody who has any integrity. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for checking this out. We'll be back with another episode on Wednesday. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.